All right, here we are with Tyler Stallman, everybody. Hey. Give it up. Here we are. You remember this? Is there song? a live studio audience? <laughs> Am I show you what, should I hold for applause? I, uh, you know, on my soundboard, I don't actually have applause, but I have this. What's up, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough. That's all the applause I need. Exactly. If you're not watching the video right now, I've got a stack of lenses um, next to me from Panasonic. These uh, ridiculous L-series lenses that they gave a lot of the creators. Um, I don't know why I'm they gave us so many. watching you to knock those over but no i know why they gave us so many are we gonna jump right into it or do you want to no i'm gonna yeah, tease we'll, something else first yeah we'll save we'll save that for later but um i have one of them sitting here but remind me to say why i think they sent so many and that i think it was a good idea it is a great idea i mean obviously for you know for the listener of course we would say that right because um <laughs> it's quite absurd how many things were given to us. Um, and it's not really a give either though. Technically it's like a forever loan is what they call it. Yeah. Well, and, and I also, I mean, I don't know if they talk to you differently, like maybe everybody has a slightly different thing, but it's one of those, like, um, I, I th- th- this is actually not super uncommon that it's like, look, it's, it is just like from their perspective, it's just a loan. Mm-hmm. And at any moment that means like they can, they can, and often with other brands anyway i haven't worked with panasonic really but they'll just be like okay we need it back now so you can't like build your life around it right you can't just assume you're going to have it forever and not own your own gear because you're just using the loaner stuff yeah um so i mean it's it's basically they they give it to you in a way that like it can become you can use it enough to feel like confident in knowing how the camera system works Mm -hmm. but uh not in a way that you could ever resell it or um give it away or um you know if you like yeah if you're done it, with it you not, have to not give it hours back. hours but <laughs> there you go exactly yeah that but in a weird way that whole thing creates like its own kind of subset of anxiety of like you know i've got this item especially if it's outdated it's like i don't want to get rid of it cuz it's always nice to have an extra body floating around but say 2 years from now we still have all this stuff we're not using it anymore for some reason or it's outdated or whatever it's like do I just, I guess I just give it back to him at that point. Be like, yeah, hey, I'm 100%. done. I mean, I've, I've, I've done that with plenty of, uh, random <laughs> products of the year. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing that happens. It's just not something that we're, I, I think also we're all talking about it quite a bit because, um, it's exceptional in the photography world. And you know what? I think that most listeners, viewers would assume that anybody reviewing photography gear is like getting tons of free stuff yeah, or that more things are sponsored than they are like sponsored reviews and stuff like that. Um, this is pretty atypical. Like usually you kind of get lent one lens or, or camera body for some set period of time. Um, so that, and, and I think everybody's assumed that it's been different. So I think hopefully it's a, it's helpful to the like camera audience to notice that when, when there's a bigger, um, um, openness to us using it everybody's excited because this doesn't usually happen yeah um but i'll also point out that we wouldn't be excited about it if it wasn't a great camera because yeah, like sure. i said like i've, ha- I've had stuff i've <laughs> well, had this kind of loan before and i'll like if i'm not going to use it regularly i will just send it back because i don't have unlimited space right yeah exactly and i've already spent a lot of money on some pretty nice cameras mm-hmm. so the fact that I want to use the Lumix X5 II in place of some of those cameras is a really good sign. So I don't know. Yeah. There you go. 
I exactly. Couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And um, so, yeah, I, by the way, we just kind of jumped right into it. We're referring to the S5 II, which is probably whatever the title is. I haven't come up with the title of this video yet. Um, but Tyler and I have both had time with the S5 II. I went to Tokyo. He was in Thailand, unrelated, but the timing couldn't be worse. Um, <laughs> but we wish you could have been there. Yeah, I was sad about that. That being said, you did have an amazing time there, and I want to get to that. Um, but first, you're doing some home renovation. You're working on... Uh, a condo? Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to follow along on Instagram, uh, just go to Dover underscore house. And it's because we were renovating a house, which we've been calling Dover House because of the neighborhood that it's in. And um, that's coming nearly to a finish soon. And at the same time, we're renovating our condo in Canmore. Um, so I guess I'm calling it the Canmore condo. And it is, um, that's nice in the mountains. Like, yeah, if anybody comes to Alberta, they're probably going to Banff to the Rocky mountains and Canmore is the town right before Banff and, um, is also where you can buy property. Banff is very, it's inside the national park. So it's like you, you have to live there full time to own anything. They really don't want to expand it at all. But in Canmore, there's a bit more, uh, flexibility in terms of people from Calgary can own property there. So it sounds like that's, you're speaking a foreign language did. to me, but it sounds really exciting. <laughs> and yeah, I, it is. I really want to come I mean, this visit. Is, this is very Canadian. <laughs> you should. Yeah. Um, I've still never been to Canada and my wife and I were just talking about how we'd love to go. We were watching um, the TV show Alone, which is like this show where people uh, live in the middle of nowhere, like literally by themselves and they go through camera boot camp and everything. I was like, there's got to be a camera crew because their audio is perfect and the shots are not bad. And then I looked it up and like they go through like a month or two months of like filmmaking boot right. camp. How to shoot. That's cool. And I should watch that because it's, it's amazing. It feels like that in Canada sometimes. It's on Netflix. Yeah. And so they're going into like British Columbia, like middle of nowhere, wild, you know, grizzly bears and everything. And then they just have, you know, that, 10 that's items and that's, that's it. where there's so many Canadian YouTubers is we all, we all get that training and uh, we all know how to shoot ourselves. So it okay. comes with the government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, cool. So yeah, everybody stay tuned on that. I'll link all that in the show notes. Um, and I wanted to kind of move on to Thailand. I, I briefly mentioned it. Tell me about your time. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I mean, we got to see a lot of it. We were there for two weeks and it's not, it's not a massive country, but it's like pretty far north to south. And we kind of saw the, the sort of biggest different regions. Um, and both like, you know, cities, countryside. And yeah, I mean, if anybody's ever thinking about traveling to Thailand, the, the real takeaway is like one thing that really struck me is the people there are, are just like exceptionally kind, like, mm anywhere you go whenever you travel you're gonna meet some nice people like the nice people are everywhere but it's kind of the, the rule instead of the exception and maybe the easiest way to notice it is if you go to the market like there's a lot of night markets where people have booths set up and they're selling art or crafts or food or all these things and everybody is very just sort of like polite and nice about it and nobody's like yelling at you or trying to mm. rip you off and there's not a lot of like aggression in in terms of anybody you deal with everybody's just like super chill and really friendly and and like it really it, it like jumped out at me how, wow. how just like kind everybody was there um and then obviously it's beautiful there's uh an, an incredible amount of temples there that have been there for a long time thousands of them and um they're exceptionally beautiful and again also like culturally they're just very welcoming to tell you their story and show you um everything and uh yeah no i loved it 
couldn't recommend it more. It's extremely far. It's the farthest I've been from home. <laughs> so uh, it was, you know, is is like is culture shock, uh, is culture shocky as possible. But yeah, same here. Although um, with Japan, I'm referring to the same. I, th- I yeah. believe that's. I think maybe Africa was longer for me because there was a layover in England, but, um, but yeah, I, I would agree as well, you know, with Tokyo, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been to Tokyo or Japan before? Yeah. Yeah. We went on one trip with where we were in Korea for one week in Tokyo and, uh, beautiful. Yeah. Tokyo and Seoul. I don't know if it's similar. Maybe you can speak to it with Thai, but, um, the people in Japan also were just, like incredibly kind and respectful. It just seems part of their culture, which I, you know, I, I envy that because, uh, yeah. especially in America, it is definitely not the case. I mean, our whole entire like thing about America is, you know, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> Dad gummit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the other thing is like going through Asia, like there also is so much variety. Like yeah, what I was thinking about afterwards and I'm like, it, is there more variety than Europe even? Cause obviously there's huge differences between England and Italy or you sure. know, Spain and, uh, wherever, but the <laughs> other European, Japan, I mean, Asia, yeah. Other, and I'm not quick enough for my feet. Um, Asia is, I mean, obviously it's enormous, but yeah, just like how different it feels as you move around is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah, I just feel super lucky that I've been able to see more than one country there now. That's awesome. And I'm very ready to go back. We were watching your video and Ani was like, how much are tickets to Tokyo? So. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's 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 kind. Um, yeah, I, it was so much fun and very photogenic. And I'm yeah, I'm sure Anya uh, would love to get some stuff out there. Um, they finally opened up. They've been closed for the whole you know last two years with the pandemic, yeah, and they finally just opened up. So um, a lot of people are traveling now again. Um, one thing I did want to mention before we get off of the Thailand uh, talk is, and this does relate to our main topic today. Um, it's really the first time that you used your R5 as like a dedicated cinema camera, if you will, because, um, you do have a C70, uh, like myself and, you know, the three or four podcasts that you and I have done now talking about that one camera over and over. And for some reason people continue to listen to it, but, um, the R5, you know, I've used it as like a B cam on a tripod quite a bit. Um, I did a couple of shoots with it. Uh, I've always found the noise, at least on Connor's model, I thought it was Connor's camera, but based off of what I've been hearing from you, I think this camera is just really noisy and also the IBIS is bad. Tell me about your experience with the R5 and in a way, you know, it might have changed your mind on the whole system altogether. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of falling out of love with it. Um, because you know, I'd shot some early projects on the R5 that, that worked out pretty well. There are times when the IBIS can work very successfully, um, depending how the camera is moving and which lens you're using. Uh, and then also, specifically, if anybody's wondering, less wide. I mean, I'm not the first one to discover that. But um, the my, most of my problems were when I went wider. I was on the 15 to 35 mm-hmm. for a lot of the trip. And then uh, in terms of colors and image quality and noise... You know, I think at first, if you go back and look at everybody's R5 reviews, they're generally really positive in terms of video. And a lot of that reason is when you shoot it the way it wants to be shot, it turns out great. Like it it can have very exceptional image quality that can match up with whatever else. But what I find is that it's, it's very fragile. It, um, 
it does not like being underexposed. And unfortunately, it also doesn't like being overexposed. So basically, <laughs> you got to get it right down the line. So if you underexpose, you get a ton of noise in the shadows for what shouldn't be a very, like such a noisy sensor. I mean, the photos aren't exceptionally noisy. It, it can handle yeah. high ISO pretty well, but the shadows go crazy. And then if you overexpose it, you instantly lose a tremendous amount of saturation in the highlights. Mm -hmm. And these aren't problems on the C70 at all. C70 can move it all over the place, partly because of that sensor, I imagine, but also C-Log2. So you can shoot raw on the R5, and then you can convert that to C-Log2. I've heard Cam Mackey say that, you know, if you run noise reduction on that, it looks like real C-Log2. And it seems like Canon's not providing that in the R5 mm-hmm. or R5C because of the noise and they don't want to do noise reduction camera. Hmm. I mean, all of this is driving me crazy. <laughs> and obviously, I'm sure you, did, did you watch Cam's video about I leaving did. Canon? It was very, yeah, I mean, the, it was re- really refreshing. I, I used to make videos like that that were a little bit more brash. And as I matured in my YouTube journey, I've kind of toned down a little bit, but it was actually kind of fun to hear somebody who was genuinely kind of angry. Just pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. so, um, uh, everybody go check out Cam Mackey's video. Uh, I've yet to meet him in person. He was actually in Nashville, but I was I, I had COVID when he was here, so I couldn't meet up oh, with him. Yeah. But um, yeah, I he, love um, that guy. He's awesome. Yeah. I mean, everything he's, he's switching saying to the Sony video, like now. most... Right. Yeah, most of it I agree with. And that was kind of his main point. The difference between him and I and the reason I'm not like just ready to jump ship and sell everything is um, f- f- the photos still matter too much to me. Mm-hmm. Um, photography really is the priority. And, you know, I, on, on my podcast, I just did favorite gear of 2022. And I did choose the Sony a7R5 for that, mm-hmm. which is an amazing photo camera, you know, in it's, uh, on paper, it's, you know, better than the, than the R5, but the, the, you know, the usability of Canon really does go a long way. The, the, yeah. the way it feels in your hands, um, just the experience of shooting with it. Canons still feel right to me and photography is important enough that mm-hmm. I am still not quite ready to like split the line and start, you know, investing what would be a significant amount of money in, into Sony to be able to really commit to it, sure. um, and yeah. and you know make the full jump. So I agree with you. I've, I'm still kind of holding on to the R6 Mark II um, that we we got for a review. Um, I think Connor's going to actually dump his R5 and buy the R6 Mark II from me. Um, but I've been actually right. messing around with it a little bit here and there. And as a stills camera, it's fantastic. I, you know, the image quality is amazing. The IBIS uh, performance specifically for still photography is is excellent. I, you know, there's no issues there. Um, so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're primarily a photographer um, and you're still shooting on Canon, you know, or if I'm ever having a conversation with a professional photographer, especially probably like a wedding photographer, I, I feel like would be kind of the main you know, use case of a Canon uh, mirrorless camera for some reason, just all wedding shooters tend to shoot on Canon. Although that has changed a lot recently, but um, yeah, like the, all, all of them are great. The R6 is great. The, um, the R5 is, is still good. And there's rumors of an R5 uh, Mark two or whatever coming hopefully soon. But I mean, I'll say the, the C70 is really what me, you know, on the video side, C70 is like the reason I wouldn't switch to it because there is such a great video option still. If I was only sticking to mirrorless stuff, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel the same way. Yeah. Um, 
the the thing is i do i do still think the c70 is stronger than the fx6 specifically and the fx9 is a lot bigger mm-hmm. um and i'm excited it's like, it's like that one model but when it comes to like the fx3 and the a7s3 fx30 i think all of those are much stronger video options than anything that canon has at the same level yeah so well, I mean, again, I think I'm almost repeating what Cam Mackey said, but I've, I agree wholeheartedly. It's like the IBIS performance is bad. The lens line, lineup is good, but it's just really lackluster when you compare it to Sony because of all the third party support. Um, you know, obviously the well, micro HDMI port the, issue, C log. The argument I got bad. The argument I got back from uh, Patrick Tommaso, I was talking to him on my show last week. He was saying, he was also saying, and I kind of believe this just based on last time I used Sony. That the Sony IBIS also is a little overrated as well. Like yeah. it's not a magic bullet compared to Canon. It still has the wobble. Um, and no, I, yeah, I don't tend think to think that's true. It's like it's only better because it's, it's, it's not, less intense in a way. Yeah, <laughs> it just does less. Yeah. Um, so, whereas the the Lumix IBIS is actually better. It mm-hmm. is actually like doing a better job. So that's. I don't know if this is NDA or not, but I was told this by the engineers. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> and uh, maybe that's where Patrick got it too, is like Sony designed the E-mount specifically for APS-C. That was, it was a, an APS-C mount. That's why when you look at a Sony E-mount compared to any other modern mirrorless RF, you know, especially Nikon's Z-mount, the L-mount, the, you know, the the size of that mount on all the other ones is so much bigger um, because you can, mm-hmm. you can have so much more room um, to move the sensor for IBIS, but then also it helps with, you know, lenses as well. There's, there's all sorts of physics involved with that and why they want larger lens mounts closer to the sensor. Um, so I was told apparently because the E-mount is so tiny, there's obviously room for the thing to move, but if it moves a little bit too much, literally the mount will get in the way of the sensor moving around. So in order to solve for the fact that Sony essentially has gone all the way, you know, in theory, they've, they've done as much as they possibly can at this point. So that's why they've, you know, provided catalyst browse, which is a software solution to make it better and, and off. And it's honestly better than a good IBIS, uh, but it's a little weird because the shutter angle issue and all that. Yeah. And, in real world, nobody is using it. I mean, yeah. it's been around for a few years, and it, it looks it looks incredibly stable. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the truth is that nobody ends up going through that process very often. Because yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're committing to like a to odd looking footage because you're locking in the shutter, and you're also shooting, counting on that this like everything's going to work in post. And yeah. most people don't really like to <laughs> shoot that way. They want to, you know, know yeah. you've got it. And that's, so. it's the same philosophy that Lumix, t- and we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but with these lenses, the focus breathing performance on this is so good. And that's their solution. It's like Sony makes lenses that have really bad focus breathing uh, f- because of physics and all that type of stuff. Um, but to fix that, they do they fix it with software, you know, the focus breathing compensation, same with Canon. Whereas Lumix's perspective is why don't we just make the lens better? <laughs> you know? Um yeah. but yeah. have compromises in other areas, like some of these lenses aren't super sharp. Um but anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I, I wanted to talk about <laughs> I don't know if we are. I have a feeling this is gonna be just very long Lumix episode. <laughs> I wanted we're, to we're fighting it, but <laughs> the gravity is strong. I made like a I made like a list. I made literally like a list. Okay, now, okay. We'll so follow, now we're follow your list. 
Yeah. <laughs> I love talking to you. Um, four months later with iPhone 14 Pro, we're hopping all over the place here. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I am kind of using it more than I did the last time I talked to you um, as a stills camera, specifically uh, taking pictures of the kids. I've just kind of learned to embrace it a little bit more. And um, ironically, you know, I think three or four months ago, I was like, I don't need this. I just use a real camera. What, you know, you guys are a bunch of sissies. Um, but I've now started using it cause I have been really impressed with it. Um, but I'm still walking around and carrying the dumb phone as well. Um, I mean, what are your takeaways with the iPhone four months later, especially with some of the social media stuff you've been doing with it, uh, in, uh, Thailand? I think maybe what's interesting to, to frame it is the recent uh, Marquez video. If, if you happen to watch what MKH yeah, did lately, talking about talking about this, like the where over processing is sitting right now, um, mm-hmm. and especially how that affects the iPhone. And I think that's kind of been obvious since the release of it that they put a big sensor in there and they did not change the algorithm and the processing. Or I'm sure they tweaked it, but it still feels as over sharpened and. It, as it did before. So it's like, it's got great light gathering ability, great dynamic range. Like it, it, in a thumbnail, it looks amazing, but as you blow it up, it still has, it still looks like a phone photo as much as it ever did. Mm-hmm. Unless you shoot raw. When you switch over to raw, all of a sudden you realize like, wow, this sensor is, feels so much more like a proper camera, like a larger camera sensor. It, yeah. it doesn't have that kind of, uh, that layer of like, cruft that needs to be <laughs> scraped away um unfortunately you still can't take that off of video it's it's you know it's always mm-hmm. baked in somebody sent me a tip that if you shoot in prores and you set the sharpening to one it should remove it i tried that and it didn't happen so if anybody has better luck with it than i did but i would love that i mean t- that's the biggest problem to me is actually that all of this stuff just looks over sharpened um, and it, it's because it used to be a smaller sensor, used to be smaller megapixels. And now, mm-hmm. uh, the technology's past that, but the, the algorithm to, to use that footage isn't quite caught up to it. The other one, another huge complaint I have in terms of shooting video, and that's a lot of what the Thailand stuff was. I probably shot more video on the iPhone than photos. Uh, and cause a lot of that was for Anya's, uh, reels. So for her Instagram and stuff, mm-hmm. but what just killed me and still is killing me is that with the, um, Apple's camera app, like the default app, it will, it, it assumes everybody is essentially an amateur and really puts a lot on auto mode. So that helps you get things right often, but it will continue to adjust the exposure and the white balance as you're shooting. Mm-hmm. And you can't lock those separately and set not separately from the focus either. So if you lock exposure or white balance, you're also locking the, um, uh, the focus <laughs> sorry the um focus so if your subject is moving back and forth you're screwed so basically you have to leave it on auto most of the time and you'll just find ex- exposure start like pulsing as you like move in and out of spaces or even if you don't mm-hmm. you're in one area and especially white balance like if you just kind of look at a you know there's a yellow object in the room or a blue object the whole image will shift for a moment then come back yeah and all of this like drifting of of color and stuff is like can i please have a pro mode where i can just tell it like no just tr- mm. try to hold everything i don't even i don't mind that it's auto i would just like it to be more stable um, and I'm, I'm sure everybody's screaming at me that you should be using third-party apps there's a lot of problems with even the most expensive highest end third-party apps like filmic pro that it will not support the native 
image stabilization. So mm -hmm. that like super smooth iPhone footage you get isn't just built into the app. So they have built their own stabilization, but there's a huge delay with it. So as you move the phone around, it looks very floaty. Like there's a very visible delay in what's happening. Mm. Um, and I also don't really like the interface. So, <laughs> oh, and the exposure, it, it doesn't, this is Apple's problem. They don't give third-party developers like all the same tools that, um, that they are using in their own app. So you'll find if you tap on certain areas in the, in Apple's app, if you like tap on the clouds, sometimes often it'll like bring the clouds in and keep your subject correctly exposed and everything looks perfectly balanced. If you do that with Filmic Pro or other apps, you can find that it'll just like, it'll overcompensate and it'll like, okay, make now bring the clouds down mm. dark enough, but your subject is now too dark. Then you tap on your subject they're the correct thing in the clouds overexposed. It doesn't have the same subtlety that the default app has. So yeah, I, uh, this is very like in the weeds, but. Well, no, I think at this point we've matured at a, to a stage where there's real professionals using mobile phones as um, a film stock, if you will. You know, it's, it's a, it's a style and a, a something that, you yeah, know, professionals 100%. are using like yourself and you, you literally, your client wants you to film it on a phone so that it has the phone look. But obviously, as a pro, you know you want you want to be able to control some things. Um, and I think Sony has done you know that with their Xperia phones. They have two apps. They have the the standard mm -hmm. default app, and then they have the are they literally calling it like a Venice <laughs> app or something? I think or, or Probably, pro. Yeah. I think it's I like mean, they pro want that cinema. to be a pro phone. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I think um, some of, I forget which model it is, but one of them has that same one inch sensor in it with the phase detect autofocus and everything. Um, and when you use their pro app, you're seeing the same tracking screen that you see on a normal Sony alpha camera, which is insane. Um, and there's like a yep. proper shutter button on it and everything. Obviously they can do this because they aren't selling a billion phones so they can have these niches but I do think the pro line, it makes sense to me to have a USB-C port on this thing and maybe give us a pro app as well. I mean, that's a big ask to ask Apple to design an entirely new interface and a new app. But um, I think it yeah, would be I, useful. I, mean, I, I know they won't split the app at any point, but um, they also they like to be part of that pro market and like to, mm -hmm. to tie into what professionals are doing. So I'm sure they'll... I'm sure they're thinking about ways to address it. I'm sure they've tested having white balance inside the camera app, but the camera apps also become more and more complicated. Like, yeah. I, I also complain that it's a little bloated. So I don't know. They, <laughs> they got a balancing act, but yeah, maybe um, through software, they can kind of not make it look so baked all the time. Uh, I mean, honestly, I could just use some more settings, which is a very Androidy thing to say, but it's like, mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of modes for photography that I'd be happy to turn off like i don't need to see those settings ever again and then maybe some more advanced settings that i'd love to turn on mm. um, that other people may not need but i don't know maybe that's asking too much um and then our last topic before we get to the main topic where are we at with ai right now because i mean everything's just moving so crazy fast you were the first person that i've seen yeah. you know utilizing ai in photoshop or, or basically using it as a tool is there any new advancements just over the last like three months since I've talked to you? Has it even been three months? It's maybe like two months, but um, yeah, less than that, I think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it hasn't. Uh, Chad, it hasn't like 
changed all over again, except for chat GTP, yeah, GPT. Wasn't that didn't out, guess, exist but, um, until yeah. December <laughs> or no, it was so, November I mean, when it came out, but it started getting traction just in the last month. Yeah. It's definitely the most interesting and exciting thing happening right now. And it's going to be a huge deal. Um, I did try to use it as like a writing augmentation tool for some recent videos where I was like, okay, give me a paragraph about this. And then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, specifically Thailand, actually, which was it seemed perfect for when I was doing some tests. It was like, you know, write three sentences about traveling in Chiang Mai and, you know, it would write some stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe I can use this to help uh, develop my script. When I actually went to use it, I was like, this stuff is, th- this style of writing is so far off from how I would speak that I basically <laughs> need to write it from scratch. Uh-huh. And all I could really do is use it as like a Google tool or like, generating custom Wikipedia articles for me where I'm like, sure. give me three interesting facts about Chiang Mai. And then I, you know, but I still felt like I needed to fact check all of them because I don't trust it either. Yeah. <laughs> so in the end it, um, I don't, it, it wasn't there in a way that really helped me out. Mm-hmm. I've seen other people do, um, somebody from moment was posting that they generated, uh, spreadsheets of all of their recent YouTube titles mm-hmm. used, um, GPT three to create optimized, uh, title variations and then used TubeBuddy to sw- A-B test those, which I didn't actually realize they offered that service. And then yeah. basically that the the AI-generated titles performed marginally better, like notice- noticeably better um, than the, the human-generated <laughs> yeah, I, titles. I saw that thread as well. That was, I, mean, I was like, pretty cool. wow, that, that's exciting. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it really works, but I'm, I'm, I think we're still, we're like, we're right on the on the cusp of this happening, which is why you know everybody's excited because as soon as you try it, you can see like what like the potential's here, mm-hmm. which it wasn't in the last generation of chatbots. We, it was not obvious yeah. where, that this was going to get interesting until now, but I think we're still just barely off it being really powerful mm-hmm. for everyday use. And well, uh, you know, along with that, we've got GPT four right on the horizon. It's going to come in the spring, and the the crazy thing is all of this. To all these tools we're using now, GPT-3 was built two years ago. And that's what chat GPT is running on. So in that time, they've developed version four. So it's about to be released. So instantly, we're going to get this massive upgrade. And Good um, I don't know. We'll, yeah, hopefully it does something. <clears throat> well, I Over Christmas, I Good. was showing it to um, my my dad and my brother. And my dad's a... Um, He's now a, actually a film director, but he his whole career, and he still does uh, music. He was a music producer, and he specifically made a, a full-time living over the last, I guess, 20 years now, um, doing all the jingles for a lot of like Nickelodeon and Disney Channel um, like infomercial type stuff. It's like Pillow Pets yeah, awesome. and Bacon Bowl and uh, Wobble bubble ball <laughs> like all these things that you see on the like as seen on tv section at a store or whatever um he's like one of three guys like he's good friends with the guy that like wrote the paw patrol theme song <laughs> so who oh, is now super rich from that one um paw patrol song but yeah so um he's kind of in that world and we were playing around with it specifically for writing songs and i just said it watch this. And I was just like, right. Uh, you know, a, a jingle about a guy who uses a yo-yo and he's like walking down, you know, I, I gave him like a bunch of weird things and the way that the robot was able to rhyme with contextually accurate words that applied to right. what we were talking about was like mind blowing, especially to my dad. 
Now, my dad kind of is a human G- GPT because kind of is a human. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what did I say? He's he's a robot version. Yeah, he's like <laughs> sure. He's the human version of Chat uh, GPT uh, for jingles right, right. because it takes him like one day to write, record, and like produce these things. Like he is a, a kind of a maniac with like songwriting, but the fact yeah. that this thing can write songs so easily. Um, and I think that's one of its strengths. Honestly, I've done a lot of, uh, experiments with like in the style of the Beatles or in the style of Bob Dylan or like a folk song, um, write a rap song, like just coming up with rhymes and things that have contextual, um, that make sense contextually. It's like, it's kind of nuts for songwriting. So, well, did you see the, um, have they been using image generation to create music? No, <laughs> it's awesome. And maybe kind of hard to explain, but so basically you take, I think, I don't know the correct phrase, sonograms, sono, uh-huh. when you, a visualization of audio, right? Which just, it's kind of like, like a waveform, but it has the, the, uh, the, the whole tonal map so that, um, it represents the whole song, not just peaks and valleys, not just levels. If you train, if you train the machine learning <laughs> model, train a model uh-huh. on a, a series of them and give them appropriate keywords, like this song, this, this visualization of a song, this is the blues and it's mm-hmm. kind of sad. And this is a pop song and it's happy. And this is a classical song and it's dramatic, whatever. Um, it'll, map those in the same way that it recognizes image characteristics, the same way that you would say, like generate an image of a sad blues musician. It can generate a sad blues song and it will generate it as an image. Cause it's just like the, it's like Dolly it's, you know, mid journey. I don't know which one they're using, but it's just image generation. And if you take that, so I'm going to call it a sonogram, plug that back into software that can output it as audio. It will play as that kind of music. Like it oh sounds <laughs> genre accurate yeah. and it's not beautiful or amazing. Like the instruments are kind of, you know, janky and, um, you know, it, it doesn't it's version the, one. The thing is the a- AI does not know that it's generating music. It thinks it's generating an image. Mm-hmm. It's just that we've accidentally discovered that it can be by training one, you are training the other. And so um, the anecdote I've been telling about it, which uh, is um, I haven't, I don't know if I can say it short enough, but effectively when people go blind, they've been able to uh, generate image patterns through uh, like physical receptors on the tongue that are basically like a pixel grid. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of like pixels being turned on and off can represent a, essentially a black and white image or a two bit image mm-hmm. and, or you know, zeros and ones. And then eventually as you play that back connected to a camera of the real world, it starts to generate visual images in the mind. Like the pattern recognition of our mind doesn't differentiate between signals in some, in some ways as, mm-hmm. as the signals coming in, it's, it starts converting that from a physical feeling signal into a uh, visual signal. And the same thing is happening here with AI. It's like we're discovering that it understands other processing patterns just by feeding it, feeding it one pattern and it spits out another one that we didn't know it was going to. And so I I don't know, like we don't know what we created with these AI tools and it's just cool (laughs) digging into it and seeing what it can do. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we're just scratching the surface of it. And I mean, obviously one thing comes to mind and that's, you know, utilizing it for just normal assistant type work, you know, answering emails or responding to text messages, you know, um, talking to people on the phone. I mean, Google already had done kind of their own AI 
thing where you can like book a, a haircut, you know, with your, with your stylist, uh, and they yeah. do the, it for you. But. Although the response, the response to that was people being generally extremely creeped out. So I think <laughs> we'll have a pretty big barrier to entry with um, yeah. uh, people wanting to interact. I don't know. They'll, they'll be those, we'll find those boundaries of like, when is this creepy? When, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know, but yeah, and, yeah, I mean, we're about to find out cause it's going to come fast and it's all based on the morality of the creator too. I mean, uh, GPT sure. <laughs> yeah. is good about, you know, like I specifically said, write a song about David Bowie and its response was, I'm not allowed to do anything with somebody's person, you know, with, with their actual name without their permission right. you know, or oh, whatever. Yeah. So, um, there are, there are guardrails put into place even in GPT, but that's just based on the convictions of the creator well, if, of that thing. Yeah. So. And if you search YouTube, you can find GPT jailbreaks too, where they okay. <laughs> figure out how to take the handrails off. So, yeah, well, we'll see. Um, it'll be an interesting, I mean, it'll just be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be wild. You know? So, <laughs> yeah. All right. On to the, wait, here we go. Uh, and now we're moving on to oh. the day. Panasonic S5 Mark II. guy. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of that was a lot of buildup. That's good. That's what it deserved. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. So, um, Connor and I did talk about our entire trip to Japan. So, if you want to hear the whole story about you know my experience to Japan. Uh, go check that out. But since uh, last week's episode for me on this podcast, um, I, I had now posted my actual review um, on my second channel, Dave Mays 2. Tyler and I are both rocking the the second channel life. Yours is Stallman Plus. Mine is Dave Mays 2. Patrick Tumaso is his. Um, just I, I want to kind of clarify that briefly for maybe non YouTube creator people, which are the most sane and and healthy people. And we respect you very much. Most people. Uh, But basically as of right now, and I hope this changes one day, it'd be cool if you could just have one channel and have like almost categories within your channel. But as of right now, the algorithm just, you have to basically stay within your lane with whatever you're doing. So if you want to do gear reviews, a podcast, and also entertainment content, every single one of those three elements needs to essentially be siphoned off into their own channel. Um, so a lot of people think of a channel like, a, like a, you know, the discovery channel or, you know, TV channels and TV channels had multiple TV shows on that same channel. Well, that's not really the case with a YouTube channel. A YouTube channel is almost like a show essentially. So think of it as a YouTube show. So the Tyler Stallman show on the main channel is, you know, your main line reviews. And then the Stallman plus channel is kind of like your podcasts and anything else you want to do that doesn't maybe fall into that algorithmic main channel vibe. So for me, my strategy for 2023 moving forward on my main channel is to post bigger, more produced, strategically designed for YouTube content and then the other one was supposed to be just like throwaway youtube videos but then throwaway review videos but like i spent a lot of time on the tokyo video and i still applied the same youtube techniques it's just a review and honestly i had a ton of fun doing it and that channel's been dead for years like that's just a channel i've had for a really long time uh that has had no following whatsoever so i wasn't expecting anything but 
you know, I just did a good thumbnail and um, had a lot you of know, fun with the intro. But I think the 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 success you had on on that video is somewhat proof that I I think that channel, the emphasis on like what a channel is, I think is a little over estimated now um just because i found i've just I, like that i'll be just as surprised when things pop on my second channel mm. and or or do not on my main um and i don't know i think it feels like youtube has loosened up the idea of like you know if people start watching it if people start clicking on the thumbnail and then they finish the video that's enough for us and yeah. That definitely doesn't always happen, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's like a, it's always a shifting landscape with that. Yeah, I think um, I don't know if you follow Eric Floberg on Twitter, but he posted a thread uh, this week or last week about he just started a brand new like running channel, and he was getting better views and better traction on that <laughs> for starting from zero yeah. than his main channel, right. which has almost two hundred thousand subscribers. And he was like, you know, saying, what's going on? Is there some sort of thing with like a new channel? And I have heard like rumors about like, yeah, I mean, a fresh new channel kind of is viewed differently. So they might test it to more markets because they don't know what it is. Uh, So they may find an audience um, that you don't already have on your main channel because essentially your main channel has has a core group of this is the group of people that we serve this video to. So they already know that data, so they're just going to send it to that group and not even really test anything else because they know this is the group that watches this channel. So, yes, if it's a brand new, fresh, completely never used channel, YouTube doesn't know what to do with it. So they're going to just test it with all different markets that they may not have tested on your main channel before, especially a gear review channel like his main channel is. Um, but also... Running is more broad, you know, that I I think the channel is just more focused. It's just a running channel and that's it. Whereas his main channel, and I mentioned it in the tweet, I was like, he'll kind of talk about business. He'll talk about wedding films. He'll talk about documentaries. It's a little more scattered. So there's just different audiences for each video. Whereas a running channel is just, if you like running, you're going to like it, you know? Um, right. So all that to say Dave Mays 2 is is where I will be posting my reviews moving forward. Um, like Tyler just said, though, I, w- seeing the success of that, I was like, oh, shoot, maybe I could have just <laughs> kept the other one, the review channel, and then started fresh it's, on the new one. It's all a guess. It's impossible to know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Dave Mays 2 is, if you liked Kinotika, Indie Mogul, if you liked that stuff, I'm just going to continue to do that there, but it will be nowhere near as frequent as it has been in the past. Um, my thought process is based on that video, I'm kind of thinking I'm just going to make videos that I like. Otherwise I'm not going to want to do it at all because I don't, I just, I don't, I don't want to just talk about a camera I don't care about. So, or, you know, or talk about products that don't interest me. Um, so my goal is to hopefully find stories worth telling. And that was, in my opinion, the whole story in of itself was was a valuable, almost historic moment in our little tiny, in our tiny little circle of gear nerds. That's yeah, true. Um, it's a big release. It's been a big deal. So S five two is here. Phase Detect is here. Um, the camera itself. Now that we've kind of died down from the excitement of it, 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 it still is kind of an S five in a lot of ways, but. Um, mostly the story, at least what I was trying to convey in my video was that this is the start of something new in the words of high school musical. So 
Yeah, 100%. Um, this is this is Panasonic's, you know, this is the moment where, you know, Lumix shows that they're still in the game because they could they couldn't have gone on much longer with uh without phase detect. Um, you know, it's it's I think they just didn't estimate the timing correctly on when it would become an absolutely essential mm-hmm. feature of a camera cuz you know, they focused on some other things and so the interesting thing is as they add that specific tool to their camera toolbox they're already ahead of the game in some other areas so yes uh, what I, what i love about it is that they are already differentiated from both canon and sony and fuji and everyone i mean they they feel distinct and they've really focused on some like you know film filmmaker specific tools like things that we really do want and people will use right away and are incredibly valuable that were that have always been low-hanging fruit for sony and canon like mm-hmm. i think this might be the only challenge for for panasonic is some of the stuff should have been obvious you know and everybody's saying it in all their reviews like okay it's, it's great that it has um a shutter angle but why wasn't that already on sony's like that why 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 is that so exciting yeah. it should have already been there um, same goes for, you know, open gate, full frame recording, same goes for vector scopes and, um, waveforms and so many other things. Right. So, mm-hmm. and those are just, I, you know, what's, hopeful- what's dangerous for Panasonic yeah. is a lot of those nice to haves about Panasonic, I think have, and you talked about this with Patrick in your, uh, interview because Panasonic had th- like the one issue with the focus, they kind of did everything they possibly could to make the camera as good as they can with what they had. And so therefore, because of competition, you know, they, they added all these things like waveforms and shutter angle and blah, blah, blah. That's literally just one firmware away for, for Sony. Like if the FX three or FX 30 does everything, um, which I don't, I don't know if they will, to be honest, but they'll probably just make a new camera with those things and sell the hardware. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it'd be a new, I don't think they'll, I, especially shutter angle. I don't think will be, uh, that'll be a release, but um, you know, but there, there's some stuff that the, the big lead, the place where Bluemix can keep their lead will be the stabilization, mm-hmm. uh, because of the reasons you just said earlier that nobody else designed their lens mount around this mm-hmm. and the way that they designed their lenses to, it just, it's really appealing to filmmakers. They are going to need to fill out the lineup for sure, because it's this new, this new set of primes and also that kit lens that are all designed with this philosophy. So I, I guess, yeah, let's get back to that like thing I teased earlier. Okay. Why did they send us all the lenses? And I think they, and by they the way, just, they had to, I just want to, I just, I want to mention too, before we move on, yeah. you are using the S5 Mark II right now. What lens are you using on it? I am. This is the 35 1.8. Nice. And I should have asked you to guess. Oh uh, yeah. Guess correctly? <laughs> I was going to say 50. It's, it's got a nice, okay. I don't see really any wide angle distortion. So that's nice. Um, but I haven't seen any fluttering. I haven't seen any issues with the focus in our conversation. Granted, I am doing the old podcaster trick where I'm looking into the lens of my camera as if I'm talking yeah, to you, but I, you're, I'm, lo- I'm looking at you now. I'm looking at nothing now. <laughs> and I, um, when I initially texted you, I was like, Hey, let's do an S five two thing and I'll have mine and you'll have yours. And I'm an idiot. And I, I let my friend borrow it. Uh, my friend Zach Mayfield is borrowing it at the moment. Um, so I'm on my C70 yeah, at the moment. Full Panasonic. So you're also hearing this running through the XLR one, which is the, nice. uh, adapter that you can put on top of the camera and it goes straight into the hot shoe to send the audio. And, 
it's uh, a fantastic little unit. The uh, the only thing I got to figure out how to add it to the Condor Blue Cage. Um, I know mm. like you, it can work with some like cold shoe uh, cables, but I haven't okay. I don't know which one yet. So I got to figure that out. And then you got the H- really nice to have got that the HDMI coming run. out of it. Sorry, we're talking uh, over each other here, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, just going into a Camlink 4K. And you're using the new real-time LUT feature, or exactly? Yeah, I've got um, uh, I, this is just like a film film-looking LUT that I created in uh, Resolve, and to make it look filmic or whatever you want to call it. And uh, <laughs> let's start. Yeah, a, I mean, start I, a business. I, I, I think this looking LUTs.com. <laughs> filmish, filmish looking. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think. I think this is going to actually be a huge deal because I mean, just think about like how much uh, Fuji has been able to ride on that, right? Like the ability to make the thing is, it's not that Fuji colors are the best. It's just that they provided a few options that remind us of what it used to feel like to shoot film and both for hobbyists and photographers alike. There's something very refreshing about that, that you take the photo and it looks, Mm -hmm. it looks complete in the back of the camera. It's like, Oh, this already looks nice yes and i you know i've tried to talk about a bunch of times that the word filmic i think is just it's a, it's a word we got stuck with but we use to represent more we don't no, we no longer just mean that it is an emulation of film um although that is sometimes the case often it's just like it's just you know thoughtful color that looks like it's been given attention it's you know it's it's either richer or softer or like it can go in many directions it doesn't need to look one certain way but it looks like it was given attention and isn't just scientifically accurate. Um, and just, I, it, it blows my mind that no camera manufacturers have attended to this before. Um, just all that anybody has done is like, let's just make things look accurate. And then the mm-hmm. filters they provide are like sepia and, uh, you know, <laughs> low, low contrast, and like sh- 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 things that people are not going to use, right? Like not very useful filters. So, um, yeah, I think this is really going to pick up in a big way. We're all going to be able to, you know, sell LUTs or whatever that can give you <laughs> film looks in it. And uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, I, th- I think Sony, before this last refresh of, you know, all the bodies starting with the the ZV-1 is the first time they they implemented the new color science. And then from that camera on with the 4, the, the A7S 3 the R5, all that stuff, even the A7C, um, the the color was just like it, it it's as if like just a bunch of engineers which is probably what happened a bunch of engineers just built all the profiles in a lab to be as like scientifically correct as possible and there's just no nothing artful about it that's the word that keeps coming to mind instead of filmic it's almost like just mm-hmm. artful and i think sony could could learn something too about just making everything a little bit more artistic because the people who use these tools uh, are artists yeah right? I don't know. I do. I do want to spread that blame though, because I think, you know, we all talk about Canon colors being so amazing, but if you just throw like a default Canon JPEG next to a Sony JPEG mm-hmm. next to a Panasonic JPEG next to, uh, you know, Fuji using the default profile, all of them looked like digital photos. Yeah. None, you would never mistake any of them for film or having been processed in any way. Like they look neutral in the boringest of possible ways. And the thing is when we all shot film, that's what we considered to be neutral, but it was more pleasing. It was just, it was nicer. And that's why I, you know, I don't think it's only nostalgia that we look back at film and think that it looks better. That's sometimes the explanation I see of like, why, 
why are we all going for this filmic look? Oh, it's because it reminds of us of the movies we used to watch. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's that there was a hundred years of uh, people working towards certain visual objectives with film and they just got the, somebody hit the reset button when we switched to digital and it's yeah. only now starting to get to the point where there's um, kind of this mass market consideration of like, Oh wait, colors can be nice. They don't have to be boring. So. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I actually mentioned this on your show when I was on last too. It's like some of those early digital cameras, like the Leica M8 and even the original 5d um, because they were so close to film it was almost like even though they had way less dynamic range, way less, uh, you know, just overall image quality because the those sensors were so the, the first digital cameras ever, they were so close to film that like they sort of were just emulating film. And I think that's partially why the Alexa has lived on to be such a beast of a camera. Even the original Alexa, the color science was just perfect because they were essentially emulating cinema film. And I think you're right. Like it's not that we're just nostalgic for film it's just that it's you know i guess it is objective but better. it is just better <laughs> it's just simply better yeah i agree um so yeah let's talk about the lenses so we have all these lenses here um i'm trying to stack them up on my shot here i've got the kit lens the 20 to 60 oh which i really love um that focal range though it is a bit of a slow lens but i mean you can't really complain it's so yeah, small it, but you know what I, I just i really wish that it was because it's 3.5 to 5.6 and mm. it's a kit lens. I'm not surprised. Like that's usually what happens. You're right that the size is great. That's what they prioritized. I really wish it was 4.0 all the way through because I would just use it so much more. Like it, it yeah. I don't know how much point. I'm going to be able to use it because like, because any, it's not even that 5.6 is too slow. It's that any shift makes it a challenge for video because you're like, okay, great. Like I got my exposure set up. I'm at 4.5 and the shot looks great. Yeah. And then you like zoom in a little and it jumps to 5.0. You know, that's well, just always shoot, a huge problem. Just shoot so, F5.6 all the time. There's your solution. Yeah, for everything. I mean, I, I, will, I will actually bring this around. <laughs> this might become a, I'm going to use this for photography a little bit just to kind of see how it feels as like a, a daily carry lens because it's so much smaller than many other things. And it's like, it's pretty good, you know? Um, like you're saying, like none of these are are the sharpest lenses ever, but I think you really only see that when it comes except to this photography. One. This one's really good, right? Yeah, except for the seventy to two hundred, but it, from which is part of the Pro series. Mm -hmm. But the, the the reason, um, or not the reason, the, the okay, the, yeah, the reason that you see in photography is because there is so much more resolution. I find that in six K, these all look incredibly sharp. Stacking them up to yeah. the native uh canon glass so you know 1535 which is like a three thousand dollar or canadians like three thousand bucks mm -hmm. um compared to these one thousand dollar lenses they look as sharp it doesn't look less sharp in video um i didn't do the tests yet but i'm expecting that you will more so see that difference in photography when you're able to zoom past 6k like when you yeah. get to that ultimate level of it and and also when you're in raw and you you can see the image without the camera correcting it mm -hmm. Because what we're seeing in video is applying all of the corrections that are necessary. It's also probably what we're seeing in any JPEGs that it outputs. Yep. Uh, so there's distortion being removed and noise removal in the corners and, you know, it's being lightened and all this stuff. But for video, I don't think any of that matters. I actually think when, when it comes to video, these are like usable for anything lenses and, you know, better than the, the only tests I did were against some Sigmas. And, um, 
they don't feel less sharp. Like the, the, the Sigmas are, the reputation is how incredibly sharp they are. And I think that came from the era that we were switching from less, you know, EF glass, for example, was not very sharp. Sigma came in, made it crazy sharp. Now everything is is kind of like that. And when I look at it next to these uh, Lumix lenses, they feel exceptionally sharp too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just in the photography world when you're looking for like critical focus in you know at one point eight or in the corners that's where it falls apart a little bit. But I mean, it's a hundred percent usable, and they're not cheap lenses. It doesn't feel like an entry level lens. It feels like you know a solid mid level lens. What I like about these lenses... Mid-level plus. um, The thing that I like about these lenses, and I'm trying my best to balance them without falling, um, is, of course, that they're so um, similar in size. I mean, I think they're all exactly the same size. Uh, Same filter thread. Did you put stickers on yours? They came with them. Uh, The Japan... Uh, The goodie bags. The goodie bag um, Uh. that they gave us in Japan came with stickers for each lens. (laughs) <laughs> I need that so bad. So this is my biggest complaint is every time I pull these out of my bag, I have to lift every single one up and look at them yeah. and read the number on it because um, <laughs> Just gaff tape it's it. only really obvious. Uh, yeah. I mean, basically just put a um, piece so of gaff yeah, that's tape, like a, write it down. You got it. <laughs> it's a dumb complaint. Cause it's, it's always been like that for cinema lenses, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'd love to, I got to put something on the, on the back of the caps. Um, I think the lens caps too, but the, the compromise is so as long as you're aware of what the compromises are, it's okay to have compromises because certain people are willing to make those compromises for the benefits in which those compromises create. So yeah. in this case... Well, and that's the thing. I, may- I would rather use these than the primes that exactly. are offered by Canon or Sony. We have the same mind, Tyler. <laughs> that's exactly what I was yeah, no, these, getting at. It's, it's like, my favorite set of primes. If I... Yeah, I I can't... I, I These are great. These are awesome. The I, I actually am considering not even, I was thinking about buying the 24 to 70 as well, just to have it. But, um, I'm kind of like, I'm just going to force myself to use these primes. They're all so good. I'd rather have F 1.8. They're also way smaller. They look good. The bokeh is nice. The sharpness is good. Each one is a little different in different ways. If I'm going for a wide angle shot, the 18 is really cool, but I found the 24 to be just a better lens. It's just higher quality. Um, so if I'm doing a wide shot, I'm kind of leaning towards the 24. Um, I've heard that the 50 and the 85 are excellent in terms of sharpness and optics. Um, I haven't used them a ton, but I, I like, I, th- I kind of want to get to what we were saying earlier about like, why did they give us all these lenses? And it's actually, I mean, obviously take everything we say with a grain of salt. These are two YouTube gear reviewers talking on a podcast about why it's great that a camera company sent us a bunch of free stuff. But to be completely fair, like it is a great way for us to review stuff because moving forward now, I've got a set of lenses that I, I, I'm not going to buy all these lenses for all these different camera companies when a new camera comes out. That's, that's just ridiculous. I wouldn't, why would I own you know, 30 different lenses from different camera companies. Although I have friends that do do this because they're nuts, but <laughs> I still somehow ended up with uh, a good 30. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, but they don't make sense. They're not like in a sequence. They're all yeah. over the place. Yeah. Same. Uh, I think we all suffer from gas, you know, uh, gear acquisition syndrome. Um, and in the past owning a set of like some high quality, maybe some vintage lenses or, or at least EF lenses, are a great option to kind of adapt to everything. 
Um, but if I'm going out and about with a Panasonic camera, I want to use, or any camera, I want to use the native lens for that native body to get the, the ultimate performance out of the autofocus, the, you know, image sharpness, et cetera. And so now, you know, Panasonic's obviously made a big statement with the new S5 II, which has phase detect and the open gate and all this stuff. Um, if you haven't learned about it yet by now, go check out my video or check out any of the other videos. Tyler, I assume, is making a video at some point, although it's, on it. it's not live at the moment. No rush. No rush. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. People will watch it. I promise. Um, so, um, so yeah. So in the future, as Panasonic makes new cameras, now it's like, hey, we sent Dave all those lenses that one time. We don't need to send him lenses this time. We'll just send him a body. He can do whatever he wants with it. And we know he's got all the lenses because... He's not allowed to sell them. Well, and <laughs> I think even more specifically, the 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 thing that I got thinking about was that the the exciting thing about these lenses is the system because mm-hmm. it's not it it does not feel nearly as cohesive when it comes to Canon or or Sony, and especially not for filmmakers. I mean, they're not well. Absolutely. Sony is doing a bunch of filmmaker specific ones. Yeah, they have Sony's the the click and declick. Um, totally. Really. Yeah, yeah. They're doing they're doing some great work. I don't want to I don't want to count them out, but the the way that that lumix did this complete set that it's like it is like a set of cinema lenses this is you'd be used to this in the cinema world this is pretty standard actually um and it's so much more organized and thoughtful and the fact that they all match and all this stuff is like once they're in front of you you're like oh i get it like you were this was a long game this you weren't just like doing one off like okay time to do the 50 millimeter let's sit here and reinvent it it's like no they're all going to be this and they're all going to work together and it once they're in front of us it, it really shows um you're saying you're not going to pick up a zoom i i feel like i do need a zoom <laughs> um because i i don't know I, I so i just shot like a normal tech youtube video the other day with mostly on this camera mm-hmm. and it, it was great having all the lenses switching back and forth wasn't a big deal but i was also in the studio so i could keep them all lined up on the side over here and they're ready to go yeah i was just thinking about i'm like oh man when i like go shoot on location i cannot be switching lenses this much when it's just me and and i got and that the shutter doesn't close which maybe there's a setting that i haven't found yet but i I don't think there is no Uh, i'm used to the r5 default closing the shutter when you take a lens off Mm -hmm. i think some of the sony's have that as a menu option but this should be the default for everything it's insane to me that (laughs) sensors are exposed like it's so it's just such a bad idea and then i went and i (laughs) when i google this i see some arguments in dp review People in the forums are like, oh, it's because the shutter is a very sensitive mechanism and you would never want it to be damaged. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, look at a sensor. That's sensitive. <laughs> uh, you know, I could I could flick the shutter and it would not break, but I cannot flick the sensor. Um, and it's also much cheaper to replace the shutter. So I don't know. It's just the wrong, it's the wrong decision to me. And I really hope they let me close the shutter because mm-hmm. on the R5, I don't get sensor dust and I've already had it in a few shots on the Lumix. Mm. Well, maybe to make you feel better, I'm pretty sure it's industry standard to have a protective piece of glass in front of the sensor. So I th- I'm pretty sure it's, it's not the, the raw it's sensor. It's the dust that's the problem. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think that, I mean, it's just, that's just a firmware thing. Just put it in every camera for sure. And, you know, Is I'm back when I, when I shot Sony, this was a common problem as well. I'm saying I'm not going to buy a zoom, but, um, because of my wallet and because of my spouse. Um, but 
<laughs> you already have I mean, that's seven like, lenses. delay it for me too, but yeah. you already they gave you seven lenses. Why do you need another one? <laughs> and you need more. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, yeah. So um, that's <laughs> mainly why I'm saying that. I um, thankfully because Sigma is allowed to make lenses for this sensor mount. Uh, in fact, they're f- essentially first party lenses with uh, the Lumix body because of the partnership with Leica, Sigma, and uh, Panasonic, the wonderful, a lot of the wonderful Sigma lenses that are available for Sony are all also available for L-mount. So the one that I'm looking at, probably picking up, is the Sigma 28 to 70, I think is what it is, the f2.8. There's a few compromises with that compared to the 24 to 70 28. It's a little cheaper, and I think it's just like slightly, what are the know, slightly worse. Uh, it's just slightly worse <laughs> oh, image. Worseness. Okay, got it. <laughs> Worseness. Yeah. But it's it comes back to the same kind of compromises we're dealing with here with these lenses. You know, maybe not as sharp. Blah blah blah. But for video shooters, I would way rather have a smaller, lighter lens. Um, that you know, also it's a little bit cheaper. So, you know what I'd love is a twenty to sixty millimeter. or or even or you know 3.5 or whatever i because that that range is actually the most useful it is that 20 20 to 70 so i was using that on the fuji recently on the xt5 no on the xh2s and i love that lens it was great to use but i kept running into places where i'm like man 28 isn't wide enough to be like it's not wide especially when you're used to having 24 to 70 all of a sudden you're like oh wait i can't quite and no maybe this is why is because it's noticeably closer than an iphone because mm. often i'll walk into a scene and i'll take a look at it through the phone and be like great this looks this is just what i need and now iphones are 24 millimeter these between yeah. six but <laughs> either way when you look at it through your bigger camera and you're like oh i can't i can't capture that same image mm. um it's not ideal so yeah i don't know I, the 28 well, might be a little too tight for me they've got the um was it they have the 16 to 28 f 28 and that is also just as small and light um as oh, the other one i haven't seen that yet so that one's 8 16 to 20 what? i'll put it in the chat there you go yeah yeah i'm gonna look at that um yeah that one would pair beautifully with this 28 to 70 so just those two lenses are um smaller and lighter than the 24 to 70 mm, and the standard nice. 16 to 35. So, and those maybe, are constant F2.8. Yeah, maybe, maybe that could be, that could be an option. Yeah. And then, um, but I have, I talked to our mutual friend, Jordan Drake, um, and he is a huge fan of that 24 to 70 from Panasonic, the pro lens. Uh, it's got the focus clutch. It's a little bit bigger and heavier. Um, but, you know, he said that it's a little bit sharper than the Sigma, um, and the Boca looks prettier. Is, yeah. So, so um, I, also, I got to test that um, the G the Micro Four Thirds one, the ten to oh, I forget the number. Well, those now, are actually. great. The one point the one point seven zoom lens. I love those. the Leica lens, and whew, yeah, it's it's I beautiful. It's huge. Well, it's really big. But to be honest, as much as I love this system, I I really can't wait for the GH seven because of that lens. Because that's a mm. that's a twenty to fifty uh, f one point seven equivalent, you know, or it, it's a yeah, was great range one one point seven times two. Uh, what is that? Oh, that uh, is three three point four. Okay, four three point four, technically, but it has the same light gathering as a one seven, I guess. But I don't know. I don't know all the science on micro thirds versus full frame, whatever. I'm also- 
I'm also going to throw out, because I hadn't used any Lumix until uh, I, d- I reviewed the GH6. I didn't you? And then it kind of sat there for a bit because it was kind of the same thing. They just like didn't ask for it back. So I've been able to use it for a while. But what it really found a place for is being my overhead camera because... Mm-hmm. First of all, the micro four thirds means everything more, more is in focus. Like a lot more is in focus. So you're not as worried about like things that are off the table being blurry because you don't really want any depth and field in an overhead. And, uh, also that ability to have effectively almost a square crop because of the full frame means that it, the open you know, gate. you're yeah. often not able to monitor your hands quite as much, right? When you've got an overhead, you, you'll, I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm holding something up to the camera and I'm yeah. totally not. So I just have more room to come back in and, and kind of find the subject. Yeah. So yeah, it's true. But um, so I've absolutely loved it for that. And if, if it could focus better, I mean, I think that would be, that'd be like the perfect place for micro four thirds. Is anywhere yeah. that you do need more depth of field, more to be in focus. Yeah. And, and I talked to the Panasonic guys uh, while I was there about the GH line and they, they again definitively said they are not killing that line. They still value it. And the way they look at it is it's a place to test um, more, you know, because you can just do more because the sensor is half the size. Right. So the technology is more advanced. It's, you know, maybe two years ahead of what they can do on a full frame. So it's a place for them to to essentially kind of push the boundaries a little bit on, you know, resolution or frame rates or different features and things. Well, so, yeah, um, I mean, take a look at that uh, dynamic range boost that was on the GH6. Mm-hmm. Apply that to a full frame camera, you know, if we, it's, it's something S2H. similar to what DGO, yeah, what DGO is on the Canon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if we were able to see that like that, but yeah. Like yeah, exactly. Imagine just like a mirrorless, normal-looking camera yeah. that has potentially more dynamic range than the C70. Like that's going to be absolutely killer. And you know, Lumix is like they're right on the cusp. If they can oh, get yeah. these next few cameras out fast enough, they can do what Sony just did a few years ago and like yeah, know, come up from behind. And totally. especially at the price, if they can keep their prices down somehow, I don't you know I don't know how this camera is so affordable, but. Well, it is using an older sensor, technically. Um, it's confirmed, but well, yeah, not it's confirmed. Affordable it's affordable because they tried. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's confirmed, but not confirmed that it's potentially somewhat similar to the A7 III sensor because that was the same megapixel and had phase detect. But obviously, the, that argument or whatever is is really doesn't matter that much. Um I used to think it mattered way more, but it doesn't because Panasonic's still doing all the color science and they're doing all the, you know, magic within that and processing's gotten way better than back then as well. So, um, but, um, yeah, the, the way to think about this, if you're an Apple fan, especially with the Apple Silicon, you know, this is the MacBook Air of the lineup. You know, it, when the M1 Max came out, uh, initially it was like the Mac mini, the MacBook Pro base model, and then the Air. And I remember I bought like a, a maxed out Mac Mini. And at the time, I had a $4,000 MacBook Pro with an Intel i9 in it or whatever, i7, I, I don't remember. But it was whatever the most was I could get in a laptop. And my Mac Mini, which cost, I think, $1,500, smoked it. And at that time, it was just like, I can't believe these prosumer Macs are outperforming I think that even at the time they were outperforming the 
tower, right? The cheese grater. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in a lot of ways they were. It so um, it's still hard to believe we made that jump. <laughs> I know. By no means did Panasonic do that because other camera companies have had phase detect for quite a while. So <laughs> by no means are they like beating everyone else. They're just they're just now getting caught up essentially. Um, but if you want to think about it in those terms, the S5 II you know, essentially the same body, though really ingenious um, cooling system with the fan built into that. I think they did a wonderful job with that. They crammed a full-size yeah, I mean, HDMI it, in there. Phase Detect is getting all of the attention, but a lot of these other features matter on their own, like are a big deal, like no record limits. I mean, mm-hmm. this is stuff I was desperate for a few years ago. Um, and, you know, Canon took forever to implement any of it and still hasn't got around to a lot of it. And uh, you yep. know, Sony's basically there, but, um, yeah, it's like really refreshing things. Full size HDMI is huge cooling, like overheating stuff being fixed. I mean, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, and I don't know, I keep, I keep wanting to just like list all these little features cause it's a very long list, but like nobody else is doing it. And it's, I know, it's, you know, it's stuff that once you have it, it's hard to go back. I, w- I will say, I mean, I think you have I don't know who you talked to from Panasonic, but you know, we were there and the the two guys from America, Sean and Matt um, are kind of the main, you know, American representatives of Panasonic and they were, you know, kind of the liaison for us there or whatever. But um, they really like, they get it. They're two video nerds. And I think Matt especially has had like a lot to do with like these lenses and stuff. These guys really understand video. It's the guys who work Mm -hmm. there who are like influencing the design of these, like actually understand it. And they talk to us and, um, they actually care. I mean, that's what competition does. Obviously, you know, Panasonic is pretty low on the list in terms of, uh, camera sales compared to Canon and Sony. So they have to do something special and unique to, to, you know, grow, uh, uh, that they listen to this show, right? Oh yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> I can only assume. Um, okay, then I'm going to make hi, some Sean, requests because I do. I, you know, I want to say I want to say all good things about this camera because I've enjoyed it so much. But there are definitely some things I. Um, the, the thing is, like, I I'm excited to ask for these things because I want to use this camera more and more. An easy one seems like changing the way that face and eye autofocus works to be just exactly the same. It works on the C70. And not all of the Canons work like this. They don't, none of the stills cameras have this. The R5 does not do this. R6 doesn't do this. All it does, it's very simple. If it doesn't see a face, it does not autofocus. That's it. And Mm -hmm. that's what I want most of the time that I'm doing any sort of talking head or interviews or there's so many situations where that's what I want. And it's actually, they built themselves this sort of quite a confusing focus mode that is where you want to select human most of the time. It's just the naming that is confusing because when it's on human, then people turn around and it focuses on the back of their head and then their full body and all this stuff. And I actually did see at least one reviewer make that mistake of that it was on face detect, but they were measuring body mm-hmm. focus. So the Sony looked better, but it didn't, I don't think that was accurate in that test. And it's, uh, yeah, basically, but so I think that face and eye is just not useful the way that it is. If yeah. I could just lock onto my face and not focus in any other situation, I'd be really happy with that. Although we we now, Sony does have the lead on that, that video that Armando did where he shows like the way that the AI identity detection is working, yeah, where it like very cool. knows your face and only focuses on your face. That does give Sony the next generation edge. Like that is a lead that 
Canon's not going to, I don't think that's going to be in the next no. set of Canon cameras. They probably saw that. And we're like, Whoa, uh, what do we, uh, I don't know what we're going to do here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, the next generation of Sony's is going to be another step forward from where Lumix is right now, but sure. um, you know, it, I don't know if it'll be as significant of a, of a step as face detect was. Yeah, I agree. I th- I, and I've sent emails to Sean and Matt about that. I, I think that was specifically one of the things I said. I was like, hey, can you just talk to the engineers about the wording on this? Um, you know, maybe my idea was um, call it human slash face and eye because almost any other camera, um, they, they, they have like a tracking mode and then you enable face and eye like on top of that. So the way I think is like, okay, human is only human. But but mm-hmm. what is true, you know, to the Panasonic and, and their wording and whatever, is if you select human, it selects all humans, and also that includes face and eye because faces and eyes are attached to humans. <laughs> so, um, you know what I didn't really try yet is if I do face and eye, will it go to my hand when I'm because an, an issue I had both with this and with the. Um, Canon is if you're speaking with your hands, which I tend to yeah. do in YouTube videos, and your hand comes forward, it still prefers the forward-most object sometimes, well, and and jumps to that focus when you don't intend it to. So I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure, but I think I saw face and eye yeah, is I gotta test face it. and eye is essentially face only without the fact that when you walk away, no, it, it focuses it does, on the back. It does right? focus to the background. Exactly. But, oh, but so it doesn't focus the foreground. I shouldn't. I, I'm just like guessing stuff right now. I should test this after. <laughs> we hang yeah, I I actually haven't tested that with like a with the hand, you know, or whatever, um, you know, etc. But I, I'm using the C70 right now, and I, I do have a little annoyance with that. Um, a new thing came up. I um, I broke my uh, AC power thing. The little the little barrel oh, that goes oh, into no. it. It shorted out on me. Um, I might, I might have tripped on it or, you know, pulled it in a weird way. And I was looking up, you know, how to replace it and it's $300. So, Mm. um, but (laughs) Canon makes a printer with the exact same everything. Uh, it's the exact same power. You go in there yourself. And so I'm going to, and it's $15 on eBay to buy that power adapter for a printer but it's the exact same output. I looked at the like. I even looked at the model number. It's essentially the same. Wait, wait, wait. are we? Are you? Are you saying? Are you saying the cable is broken, or inside the camera the port is broken? No, no, no. The 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 you know the little box like you have you have an AC that goes into on your the wall. camera or outside of the outside camera? the camera. Yeah, the, just the charger. The charger. Oh, okay, that's better. Brick. That's not as okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's less crazy. But the <laughs> the charger cable but, wow, brick, $300. it's three hundred bucks yeah. for the for the one for the C seventy, but there's a printer that uses the exact same thing. It's just like a, a variation of I the I say model. go for it. I'm gonna go don't for listen it. To me. I don't Fifteen know bucks. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a shot. So we are on battery power just, right now. Yeah. And then when my but batteries like, die out, I, I won't do, be able to charge them again <laughs> until I get a new cable. Yeah, right. I, yeah, I don't actually. I never run it off AC. I just do. The, yeah, I mean, charging the battery is the is the problem here. But <laughs> anyways, um, I ha- I did update you know this camera and the face or the eye tracking on it seems to be working really well with the new firmware on right. the uh, C7. I, uh, so. I didn't update it yet. Oh, so I don't know yet. Yeah, it's good. You should try it. Because it, it it generally just worked well enough for my talking heads. Like I just sure. haven't had any problems with the C. Which the thing is, th- this is why I was thinking about the hands. Is I did my 
uh, one of my Thailand videos, I was saying it was a video about like what's on my camera. Mm-hmm. And I found that in the final image, it was like pumping back and forth <laughs> a lot just from small gestures. Like the whole focus was like pumping, flying forward and back. And then the fact that it's got all of that uh, lens breathing yeah. is nauseating. It was like oh zooming gosh. in and out constantly. So what's I had to like cover name? more, more with B-roll than I thought. And like, oh, it was just like, yeah, it, it it was really that was one of the big frustrations of the R5 on, on in, mm. in that shoot, um, and part of why like <laughs> part of like why I'm sensitive to it with the Lumix right now. I'm sorry, I'm having <laughs> fun with this stupid soundboard. I need to delete this. Um, so I, I sorry if we're going too far here. Just at any moment, tell me you need to leave. Um, I want to just kind of end the whole S5 talk with why you care, why I care as a Canon shooter, um, as a B camera to our C70s. Um, I mean, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself with that, but I'm not selling the C70 yet. Um, it's still too good for me. I need to have that cinema camera. I love the DGO sensor. I'm still not seeing, even with the S5, as good as it is, I still think the C70 looks better. Um, yeah. You know, I love having the built-in NDs, but if Panasonic makes a camera with built-in NDs that's a little box camera similar to the C70 that's full frame with IBIS, you know, somehow putting ND filters in there with IBIS would be amazing. Um, I would consider switching, I think. If if they made a, a comparable cinema camera, I think I would switch. Well, but I still I mean, love they've made the all those C70. box cameras already. Yeah. And they have not put NDs in those yet. So I, I think they will make a box camera of this and it won't have NDs. Um, that'd be more like, you know, the evil one, which, um, we haven't, I don't think we'll be getting a sequel anytime soon. No. Yeah. Um, I talked to them about that specifically and they said that that is a completely different division from the Lumix division. And as far as they know, nothing is going to happen between the two in terms of phase detect and blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, so we don't know. They'll probably, you're right. They'll probably do a box camera. So cinema camera aside, you know, feel how you want to feel about it. I also agree. I think I've been very impressed with just the overall image quality coming off of the Lumix and the fact that it's smaller, lighter, full frame. You know, it's got a very competent IBIS, if not best in class. Um, all those things make what, what, the C70 yeah, yeah, yeah. not let's, as interesting. <laughs> but let's, let's hit the IBIS just for a second. Cause I know that that's often how we're kind of just rolling over. Like, a lot of the reviews I watch as well is like, as we all know, it has some of the best IBIS out there. Sure. Um, this is the first time I really had like used it a lot on one of their full frame cameras. I guess, first of all, like what, now that you've used it a bunch, uh, d- mm-hmm. like, do you think it's some of the best? Cause I think it is just the best. I don't, I, I don't think Canon or Sony compete and I don't think there's anyone else to compete either. So, well, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a unique case because I'm an Olympus user, or at least I was, I'm mm-hmm. selling my OM one right now. Um, but Olympus right, but full frame, full frame, because you can compare <laughs> yeah, sure, GH six to the Olympics, but yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, it's the best, it's the best full frame IBIS I've seen. Um, I remember Nikon being surprisingly good as well, but, um, nowhere near as dialed as this. And again, you gotta, with the lenses and with the shutter angle and the waveforms and all that kind of stuff, you get that also applies to their stabilization for video because, that's just part of their philosophy and just they're more video heavy than photo, even though it's a hybrid camera. Um, they seem to put a lot of focus on video. Whereas 
with Canon, with their IBIS system, it's clear to me that they still, like it's been several years with the R5 and they haven't really fixed it. And even with the R6 Mark II, which just came out, it's not better at all uh, compared to the R5. It's still that warpy, wobbly thing. They lean more photo. So like they are hybrid cameras, but they're... 80% 80% photo and then the rest is is video whereas Lumix is kind of the other way around. So because of that the IBIS stabilization is just really tuned when you turn on the E stabe the E stabilization mm-hmm. um they're basically f- correcting a lot of that shifting and um I mentioned this in my video and I don't know if you experienced this I don't know which firmware version you got but the the version 1 that they gave us in Japan did have some issues with the wobble wobble um, with wide angle lenses. And they now have given us two firmware updates since then. And that's completely solved it. They, they fixed it. I mean, I think it was already working fine. Like if you took an 18 and put on an S5, it didn't look that bad. So yep. something was off. Um, yep. They fixed it. Right. So, Well, yeah, they were saying as long as it's closer than or le- like up to 20 millimeters. So yeah. they're saying you might still see it in the, they're warning you like the 18 might still have it, but, sure. um, you know, up it's to 20, cropping. it'll be fixed. And yeah, I mean, I saw Patrick tweeting. He's like, "No, I still see it." I'm like, I don't know. I've, well, I haven't tested enough to be come on, like, sure it's whether Patrick. it's there. Or not. Come on, Patrick. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. I text him often. Um, I'm like, "You're such a troll," and I love you. <laughs> yeah, it it is excellent. Like you know, whether whether there's any wobble left or not, I mean, it is excellent. And I was also recently looking at the um, in the Thailand video. You know, I had to correct a lot of wobble from that R5. This is the first video I mastered in Resolve, and mm. that was an amazing experience. You hit stabilize in Resolve. It's super fast and it totally works. It wow. fit, like it saved so many shots that I'm as I'm watching, I'm like, oh my god, this shot is unusable. Like it makes you nauseous. I just hit stabilize with the default settings. I'm like, oh, it's like it's wow. fine. And uh, I mean, you know, it's not like that in Final Cut. Like in no. Final Cut, <laughs> it takes a long time and then it looks like garbage. So you don't use it <laughs> yeah. in the end anyway. It just looks like Jello. Yeah, um, I think that's it's, that's yeah, another it was, topic. It's almost hard to resist right now. I, th- I yeah. think I think the workflow for me still has to be uh, edit in Final Cut because there's no way I can edit that fast in anything no. else <laughs> and then finish in Resolve. So I, uh, yeah. that's totally normal. And that's how Resolve was built to be used was to be, you know, ported over. So and, and it Final yeah. Cut works really well with it. So I may consider doing that as well, like just doing my grades and, you know, any post stabilization and stuff like that and just in resolve. Be careful of uh, speed ramps because it does not translate. Uh, okay. Good yeah. to know. The way that resolve deals in. with, uh, yeah, Ugh, no, just don't even do it. Do the, okay. just like the, the only way I was able to do it with Thailand is I shot almost everything at 24. I didn't shoot any much slow motion. Mm-hmm. And the few shots that I did, I just didn't slow them down until it got to resolve. And uh, when I asked Jesse Driftwood about like, cause he did a video of switching to resolve for some period of time. He was just like, I just want to try it. He wasn't saying a permanent switch and he's such a, you know, prolific final cut user. And I, was, I just texted him afterwards. Well, I'm like, you still using resolve. He's like, no. And I was like, why? And it was specifically because of the speed ramping. He's like, I just can't do my, like, that's such a hallmark of his edits is these ra- ramping in and out of shots. And it's just not like that. In resolve. Yeah. It's not as nice. And, the, and it doesn't translate between them at all. 
And I, you know, I, I have such an ecosystem of graphics and plugins and the plugin support. The fact that of all things, of all companies, Apple created an open source platform for people to build their own plugins makes Final Cut such a yeah. rich ecosystem for incredible plugins and, and effects. Um, I don't think it could ever leave that. But I need to get out of there for color grading at least because it's just nothing compared to Resolve's no, power for color yeah. um, in particular. So, um but yeah, so I, I I basically what I want to get to is for me, I've been like back and forth, back and forth on my B camera because I've had the Olympus. I've had, you know, the R6. I bought the R7 thinking that would be the perfect B camera to my C70. Ironically, you know, obviously, you know, full disclaimer, Panasonic did give me the S5 Mark II, so I didn't spend any of my money on it. But I, I, I want to be as objective as I possibly can and say... Even if I were to pay money for it, I see this S5 as a beautiful B camera, even to a Canon camera, my C70. I think I've been able to even get the color to match very well between the two. Um, and it gives me everything I want in a hybrid, which for me, just like the X-H2S, which we've talked about before as well, I want a hybrid that leans more into video than photo. I just kind of like to have photo there. That's why the a7S III is so great. It, it really is a video camera that happens to take some pictures. And the reason that, the reason it's the case is because I only take, I'm talking for myself, I only take pictures for thumbnails and for taking pictures of my kids. That's it. Like I'm, I do not ever right. get hired to do photography ever, which is probably why you can't leave uh, R5 because you do get paid to take pictures. Um, but yeah, so for me, I don't see Canon ever making a hybrid camera, even with the R5 Mark II or whatever future, whatever they make. I don't see them ever going full stop like Lumix will always do because Panasonic or Canon is always going to try to protect their cinema lineup. Um, and that just seems to be what they do. They're a little arrogant and stubborn with things and they just don't seem to want to give us what we want for video shooters on the hybrid cameras, but they do give it to us on the cinema cameras, which is why the C70 is great. We're going to be seeing a new C200 variant of this sensor, which I'm really excited about as well. A box camera with SDI and stuff. Um, that'll be cool. So I'm still a fan of Canon cinema cameras other than the R5C, (laughs) but, uh, I think the Lumix is a great uh, second camera to a cinema camera user. Um, so for me, Lumix S5 II is my everyday carry, take pictures of the kids slash YouTube camera, you know, for the running gun shooting, for the thumbnails, etc. And then C70 is still my kind of like I get paid money to make videos camera. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I really want to see. I, I didn't get a chance to test the Lumix with the adapter. Um, I, I don't remember the, the number, Canon but adapter. there's like an L mount to, yeah, to EF. It's a Sigma. And if that works. It works great. Yeah. It works and, really good. Uh, yeah. I think, I've used I it. think it works great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because if it works that well, I mean, may, maybe that's enough for me to start really making this my B-roll for, my, my, or my B-camera for everything. Because, you know, even, even though they, they provided these lenses, I I think about like hey, when I'm traveling or even just at a job and I don't have more than one assistant, like I can't bring two sets of lenses, yeah. you know, like totally. it, do, it, it does not make sense to have multiple lens mounts. Um, so, you know, if I, if I can share them back and forth, like I would much prefer this over anything that Canon's offering hundred percent. There's no, there is no smaller Canon out there that I'd rather use over this Lumix to me. S5 II wins hands down against anything Canon's making. And then um, 
And that's why I think it's important because we're speaking from Canon users. The caveat is yeah. if you're a Sony user, I don't think you should switch. It's different. It's different. No, no, no. I definitely don't think you should switch. I think, yeah, I think what's going to happen is Lumix is going to scoop up a bunch of frustrated Canon users. Um, and it's going to start getting a lot of new adopters, especially because of the price point. Like, yeah. It's it's one of the like that's why I would it's or it's not even why there's a lot of reasons why one of the big reasons why to recommend it when people are like you know I don't have a camera yet what system should I get into it's like well as long as Lumix offers the lens lineup that you're into that seems like the choice to me right now you know totally. like you're gonna get by far the most for your money um, the only thing is that they don't have every lens and mm-hmm. the ecosystem is super important for what you get into. Often I've also told people, um, cause there's been times when Sony and Canon were a lot closer. They're always, you know, they've always jumped ahead of each other back and forth. So even now that I think Sony's ahead in video, like don't count on it staying that way forever. But I've always told people it's also very helpful to shoot what your friends are shooting because then they can sure. help you. You know, mm-hmm. they can, you can borrow stuff. They can teach you with the menu system, whatever. Like it's, it's, it's good to be part of a community of people that are shooting other stuff. So if none of the specific features are really important to you, sometimes it's worth it to just yeah. get, get that leg up on. Like if you have one good friend that shoots one system, you know, having the same system as them. But, um, especially yeah, I mean, obviously getting hired a, by that person uh, specifically because you own yes, that equipment. Exactly. Uh, in my case, I work with yeah, Soundstripe yeah. and Chris Haggerty, the DP there owns and operates the C500 Mark II as our primary camera. And it just so happens that I have the C70, which pairs beautifully with that camera as our B camera. Oh. So, um, I'm not getting rid but of it anytime soon. Huge B camera feature is the baking in LUT. Yes. option that you can bake in transforms from one log profile to another. And since V-Log is a, a proper gamma and proper color gamut as well, it, it can fully transform safely into C-Log2 or, uh, you know, red or Alexa log profiles or anything. So it can comfort or Sony. So it can comfortably match up with whatever else you're shooting with. And it seems to really actually work. Obviously I haven't done all of the detailed tests of this yet, but I think it, I see no reason at all why this won't basically. So yeah, you'd apply a transform in camera so that it looks like a different log profile. Then you drop the same LUT on your Canon footage, your Panasonic footage, and it will look not identical because the dynamic range and noise and stuff will still be different, but color wise, it really should be adjustable in the, in the same ways and the same LUTs will look the same. So is that how you're applying your LUT right now? Is that a Canon conversion to your LUT or not, not the one. Yeah. Not this one that you're seeing today. Uh, cause I did make a Panasonic transform as well. So like I made a a V log LUT that will just transform Panasonic footage to the way that I like it to look. That looks a little more similar to the way that I did my transforms for Canon, uh, but it's not based on the Canon one. And I have put those into the camera as well. Um, I just found they looked, I, I, I wanted to take ingredients out so that I knew what was happening. Cause I was like, they actually, it did look pretty cool, but I was also like, I don't know for sure that that log transform is working yet. And I got it, you know, so yeah. uh, eliminate some ingredients before I uh, uh, go all the way in. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll be experimenting a lot more to see what I can do with it. But So yeah, the verdict is if you're a Canon hybrid shooter, primarily into video, consider switching. Um, <laughs> if the lenses are okay for you, but also you're right. Like the EF, I need to do some more testing. The tests I did with the EF adapter with the phase detect, it, it was actually pretty competent. 
Um, so in theory, because I'm using the turbo booster, one of the downsides of this C70, it's not full frame because I'm using the turbo booster. I have a whole, you know, I've got all these EF lenses still same here. And so I'm already, and that's the way I prefer to use this camera. Um, I've tried it with RF. I can't get, I just can't do it. I can't buy a 15 to 35 and put it on my camera and know that I'm only getting half of its power. Um, just drive me nuts. Um, it's not wide enough. So I still shoot on EF lenses with the turbo booster on that camera. So that means in theory, we just pop the EF <laughs> is it, adapter is it on called the-, the turbo booster. Is that the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Canon turbo <laughs> Tur- really turbo booster. Amazing. No, you need a, you need a sound effect for that too. <laughs> speed. It's not focal the spe- reducer. Focal re- <laughs> okay. I don't know where it's I'm a getting focal my, reducer. I don't know where I'm getting Tur- my turbo speed, booster. Speed from. booster is the meta bones <laughs> word. Turbo booster is great though. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, you know, also, I'd, I'd love to try, uh, some of the, uh, Leica glass too. Though. I know. I, you know, maybe that's enough I'm to, a, I'm a 28 millimeter whore. Um, I love that focal length and almost nobody offers that focal length except Leica always makes a 28. They seem to just have a 28 millimeter philosophy and they sell a 28 F2 Sumicron for the SL mount, which will obviously work on it. It's (laughs) $6,000. But I really well, want to try it. Well, you saved 500 buying the S5 too. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really want to try that. Um, so, we'll see. Um, what LUT are you using right now? People are probably going to ask. Oh, it's not available anywhere yet. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, mean, I was hoping to have a Panasonic pack ready for when okay. my video comes out. But great. Well, it looks already great. Yet, so, keep an eye out. It looks really good. And again, I'm always plugging your LUTs. Um, many people do. Um, but it, I have an interesting setup for our traditional podcast. I have the original C300 on my left. I have the C70 in the middle and then the R6 Mark II on the right. So I've got your C-Log LUT on the C300, your C-Log 2 LUT on the C70, and then your C-Log 3 LUT on the R6. So I'm using all three wow. of them uh, simultaneously Amazing. and they do match pretty well. So glad. I noticed the C300 one's a little crunchier, but it looks good. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't get them to like, yeah, I couldn't get them to actually, well, the more I tried to match them, it made some image quality compromises in some okay. cameras. Well, I f- C-Log. Yeah, I'm able to tweak it, you know, in, um, it gets me to where I need to be, but I'm a huge fan of your LUTs. Um, you got big LUTs and I cannot lie. So thanks, man. Um, well, Tyler, thanks for coming on the show and, uh, thank you for letting me, um, destroy your ears with my soundboard, uh, tonight. And, um, yeah, where can people find you on the socials? I mean, just, just search for me. I don't know. Twitter. How about Twitter? There we go. Twitter. I I can't, I can't figure out how Mastodon works. So I guess I'm I'm still on Twitter. Twitter's awesome. Still it's people are still there. Everything's okay. We're all going to be fine. Um, don't panic. Yeah. Don't panic. But yeah, Stallman on Twitter and, uh, everybody will be anxiously awaiting your S5 video. Um, no maybe rush day now, maybe no pressure, no rush. Uh, hopefully by the time you're listening, you know, maybe it'll be available. So thank you, Tyler, for coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. 